0: Bill Gates is looking for a new chairman of Microsoft for uh, the European division, for the whole European continent. And uh, they have these massive interviews, and they've narrowed it down to 1,000 applicants. And among the crowd is uh, a little Parisian, Tunisian Jew named Maurice Cohn. And he hears Bill Gates say, anybody from these applicants here who cannot uh, code in three computer languages can get up and leave. And uh, 200 of the applicants get up. Now there's 800 left. Bill Gates then he says, anybody who doesn't have an Ivy League degree can get up and leave. Another 200 get up and leave. Now there's 600. He says, anyone who hasn't had experience five years or more managing a team of at least 500 employees can get up and leave. Another couple hundred get up. Finally, Bill Gates says, anybody who's not fluent in Serbo-Croatian can get up and leave. At this point, there's only two guys. And Maurice Cohn is one of them. And the thing is, What no. (laughs) But he's Jewish, (laughs) and he has chutzpah. So, uh, Maurice is still sitting there, and uh, and now there's only one other applicant, and so Bill Gates comes over and he says, Okay, since you're the only two left who were able to to, to adhere to all of these these qualifications, and you're the only two who are fluent in Serbo-Croatian, why don't you have a conversation with each other? So Maurice pauses and he says, And the other guy looks at him and says, Okay. Today's topic is speaking a language that you don't understand. Actually, no. Speaking a language that the other person doesn't understand. Why? Why? Why is this connected to this week's Pasha? So I'm going to. Pasha's va'yera. We're looking perik zayin Posik base chapter seven verse two. Hashem is giving instructions to Meishar Rabbeinu, how he's supposed to relate to Paray Melech Mitzrayim. He tells him, "Ata you, Meisher, sidaber." Should speak, Ace everything that I command you. and Aaron, your brother, pare. He'll speak to Pare. What's going on here? Meisha should speak to Pare, and then Aaron should say to Pare. So Rashi has to come in and explain to us. Ata um, Rashi says you should speak. Mesha should speak once for each of every time after each of the plagues that uh, Mesha comes to Pade. Mesha should speak. Mipi. Just like you heard it from my mouth. Just like you heard it from my mouth. Verbatim. Hashem is telling Mesha, I'm going to tell you. And you're going to repeat word for word what I said to you. You're going to repeat that to Pare. And then your brother Aharon, will translate it. Furthermore, he will explain it in the ears of Pare. In other words, what's, what's being described here? Hashem is speaking to Moshe, presumably in Hebrew, right? And Moshe is supposed to go to Pare and just repeat the words that he heard from Hashem word for word verbatim. Now, does Parai understand these words? First of all, we know that he doesn't. We know how do we know Pare doesn't understand, wouldn't understand these words. We know from the story of Yosef. Right? When Yesef met Pare and they had that showdown about the languages, the steps, it's a medrash, about the, the 70 languages, the 70 steps, and then each language you knew, you could go up another, I don't know which step Serbo-Creation was, but eventually Yesef got to the top step, and then he knew one more language than Pare. he knew Lashon he knew the Holy Tongue, Pare did not know that language. So, first of all, we already know that Pari didn't know that language. And even if you say, by the way, that it was a new king, according to the interpretation that a new king means an actually new king, it's a little bit difficult to say. The previous Egyptian pharaoh didn't know Hebrew, but the new one did. Presumably, Pari did not know Hebrew. But then, also from context, right here from our very verse with the Rashi's commentary, it's clear that Pari didn't know Hebrew because... (laughs) Hashem is telling Moshe, repeat verbatim, word for word, exactly what you heard from me to Pare, and then what has to happen next? Aryan's going to come, translate it, and explain it. So obviously, Pare doesn't understand the words that that, that Moshe is saying. Okay, so then here's the simple question What is the point in speaking a language to somebody that they don't understand? In other words, in theory, especially because Aaron is acting as translator. So then just skip the whole Moshe part. It's not like it was spontaneous. It wasn't like Moshe had to be there. They already knew what Hashem told Moshe. Moshe had the message already. Then he went to go repeat it. So save time. Moshe could have told Aaron, here's what I was told. And then Aaron would go and he would translate it and explain it. Okay. So, I'm, I'm not going to tell you the joke that everybody knows. Everyone knows this joke. In fact, what, I'm going to tell you the punchline. Everybody knows it. Kid, it's not, how, it's not the joke, it's how you tell it. Right, everyone knows that joke? Okay, I, I'll tell, tell it quickly. I'm not going to tell it well because a new guy goes to prison. He's sitting in the, in the mess hall. And uh, he hears the prisoners, uh, one calls out 73, and they all crack up. Another says 82, and they all crack up. Another guy says 115, they all crack up. So later that night, he's in his cell, and he asks his cellie, he says, What's, 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 they say numbers, and then they all crack up. What's the deal? He says, We've all been in prison for so long, we all know each other's jokes. So to save time, we numbered the jokes. Okay? So then he, he says, Oh, I want to learn the jokes. So he learns all the jokes, and he learns their numbers, until finally he knows which ones are really good ones. And next time, He's sitting in the mess hall, so he says, 23, and it's silent. Nobody laughs, right? And then 54, and 54 is a hilarious one. Nobody laughs. 12, nothing. So he says to his cellmate, he says, why is nobody laughing? And they say, the guy says to the younger guy, he says, that's the punchline. Kid, it's not the joke, it's how you tell it. Okay, fine. That joke itself needs a number, okay? that's <laughs> That joke itself is older than the hills. At any rate, but... I didn't, I'm not telling it to be funny. I'm telling because there's a point. It's not the joke, it's how you tell it. There's a certain truth to that. There's a certain truth to that. Uh, the delivery. Um, you know, there's a story, a true story that probably never happened. One of those, but it, <laughs> it didn't have to happen. There's a truth to it. Uh, uh, a Jewish mother sends her son off to uh, Yeshiva. And... Uh, So he writes her a letter, and uh, she can't read. So what they used to have, I mean, a lot of people couldn't read. They would have a reader. It was a job, like it was a a position. In every village, you have a a literate person who could read. So she takes the letter, her son wrote to her from yeshiva, and uh, she goes down to the reader, and she gives him the letter and asks him to read it. So this particular uh, reader was, I guess, more like, no, he was doing his job more perfunctorily. He was just sort of discharging a duty. So he looks at the letter and he says, um, Mother, it's cold. I don't have enough clothes. they are not feeding us enough food. Please send money. So she hears this and she says, You know, I send my boy to Yeshiva. The first letter he writes back, and he's just asking for money. I don't like that. So she was, she was disappointed. A few days later, though, she she calmed down and she decided, you know what, I want to read the letter again. But she couldn't read it. So she went back to the reader. But this time was a different reader. And this reader was more of a thespian. He enjoyed his job. He he, he used to like to get into it. So he reads the letter and says, Mother, it's cold. I don't have enough clothes. And they're not feeding us. Please send money. And she says, well, now he asks like a mensch. (laughs) Okay, so, you ever heard of 738.55? Okay, you're going to remember this now. This is the key to uh, not just public speaking, although I have it in mind often when I'm standing in front of a a crowd, but it's, uh, it's with all communication. 738.55. It was actually the result of a study uh, done by a professor in UCLA in the 1970s, a professor in communication. And he uh, came to the conclusion that a speaker influences his listeners 7% by the words he says that's it the words are 7% 38% with body language right gesticulation <laughs> right and uh, 55% tone of voice 7% words so very little 38% body language and 55% tone of voice and it, this is this is just this is how people React. This is how they react to, to communication, to messages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's just how, how human beings are. Mm-hmm. The nonverbal element is 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 more important than 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 the words themselves. So for instance, I mean we all know this in day-to-day uh, experience. You sit down and you and you tell your spouse, Yeah, you have my complete attention. Well you just said the words, you have my complete attention. But that's yeah, yeah, give yeah, my complete attention. you're mumbling and you're looking at your phone, so it 's clearly not so, or oh, talk about chinoch, talk about child rearing so you, you you tell your child, Oh, that's terrible, you don't do that, never do that right You ever see parents disciplining the child, and they're laughing, so never do that sounds pretty grave, but the parent is laughing so the the, the child understand the child doesn't th- hear never do. the child hears it's funny, okay, and so on and so forth. The point is. There's a great deal of power to non-verbal communication. The the emotional energy that we put out there through our movement, through our tone of voice. There's a story that uh, in the 1890s, in Poland, the government issued a ban against shchita, against Jewish ritual slaughter of uh, animals for kosher consumption. And uh, the Chofetz Chaim, Rabbi Solmer Kagan, he was trying to get this ban rescinded or to get it repealed before it was passed. And they brought the Chofetz Chaim before a group of high-ranking Polish officials to uh, to make his, his to plead, to plead his case which uh, you know, for, on behalf of Poland's Jews would have caused tremendous hardship. So the Chovetz Chaim could not speak Polish. A- at least he, he couldn't speak well. I don't know if maybe he spoke a few words but he he couldn't speak Polish. So therefore he was allowed to plead his case in Yiddish and there would be you know like an official court interpreter. So the Chovetz Chaim got up And he he made a fiery speech. And he pleaded with these officials. And when he finished, the translator got up. And the uh, government uh, officials told the translator, it's okay, sit down. We got the point. And the decree was rescinded. So you see the power of what we say, not with our words, but with the emotional energy. It can speak more than the words themselves. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, words matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why you when know, I come in and, and give a class, I'm planning what I'm going to say. Obviously, I can't just you know, gesticulate and raise my voice and lower my voice. So words do matter, obviously. Mm-hmm. But we have to understand in what way the words matter and in what way do they not, or in what context, mm-hmm. in what case, where do wor- words matter and where do they matter less. So here, here, here's, here's the differentiation Parai was the ultimate narcissist, his ego was so strong. That he literally he believed in himself as a God, and he believed he was absolutely unbreakable. And that's why there had to be the Makis, to break him down and to force him to hit rock bottom. And as long as he was at the height of his power, as long as he was the king of the greatest superpower in the world, so you couldn't talk to him well you know they say, "Go talk to the wall, Redden some vant, right? Go speak to the wall. Be speaking to Pare was speaking to the wall. And there was nothing that could break that. There's nothing you could say to rationalize with him, to, to, to make him see the error of his ways. Because he was just totally self-consumed. He wasn't, he couldn't listen. There was no, there wasn't a reasonable person there to talk to. The only power that could break down Pare at that point would be God himself. So that's why Hashem told Moshe, you speak over my words verbatim. The words of God. The exact words that Moshe heard from Hashem. Because the point wasn't to reason with Parai, because he couldn't be reasoned with. The point was to break him, to expose him to a power greater than himself. And therefore Moshe came in and he spoke the words of God. And in fact, if you back up the, the verse that we read earlier, Atasidaber, you should speak. Hashem tells Mesha you should speak. So if you back up one more verse, it actually shows us what's going on here. The Hashem El Mesha Hashem spoke to Mesha and he said, See. nesaticha Elokim lefarei. I made you an Elokim over parei. What does that mean? So, sometimes it can be translated, I made, I mean, Rashi says here, I made you a judge and a chastiser. But also, the literal meaning is, I made you a god. What does it mean, I made you a god? It means, Moshe was there, not to explain things, not to bring it down into human language, not to make it relatable. He was there to represent God. God was coming to yell at Pare and break him down and tell him, you're not a hotshot like you think you are. (laughs) And it didn't matter to explain it to him because he wasn't going to be open to, to an explanation. All that he could do is just be screamed at with the wrath of God. And that's what Moshe did. He came and he represented God and he delivered the wrath of God. So what's the, uh, the personal application for all of us? Right? We try to make everything practical. Generally speaking, when things are normal, when things are regular, we try to reason with the Yetzirah, Nefesh Bahamas, however you want to call it, the ego, and we try to explain to that lower self why its plans of how we should live our life is really not such a good plan. And we try to reason with it, and we try to explain to it, and that's why we learn, and that's why we we internalize ideas, so that we can actually speak to ourselves, have a conversation with ourselves. There there, there was a Chassid who used to daven in Yiddish, and not because he couldn't read Hebrew, but they, they, they asked him why he would daven in Yiddish, and he said, because the purpose of tefillah is to refine the animal soul. And my animal soul speaks Yiddish, right? If I speak Hebrew, you know, that's the holy language. That's my, my godly soul speaks Hebrew. So, uh, you know, my godly soul doesn't need the daven. It's already connected. This is to refine my animal soul. So I speak, you know, I speak to it in the language that it understands. And, and, and generally speaking, that's what we do. We speak to our meaning our lower self, in a language that it understands. So you take the ideas that you learn in Torah, and you bring them down, and you try to make them applicable, you try to explain to yourself why this is the right way to live, why that we should do Hashem's will, why we shouldn't just pursue our own, our own whim, and, and explain it with, 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 with stories, with, with metaphor. I mean, it's interesting, about it. just I told you yesterday I was in Montreal. So we had an event... Um, for connected with the Yortsite of a very great mechanech mashpia Reb Wolf, the mashpia Rabbi Greenglass, Reb Wolf uh, Greenglass, Olas Shalom from Montreal, uh, who the Rebbe referred to as a makubal, he was a great a great scholar, and and his son-in-law, who was the one who brought me there to to speak at the event, he was telling me stories about uh, Reb Wolf, and one of the things he told me is that his father-in-law used to say. That when you learn a concept in Torah, whatever it is, if you want to really make sure you, you've you've got it, you should picture yourself as a six-year-old and explain that idea to yourself as a six-year-old. And we know that Wolf was 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 dealing in the deepest ideas of Kabbalah and and. This method that he was describing wasn't just what he was telling others to do, this is what he did himself. So you could understand, he was taking the deepest ideas and then he would translate it. He would translate it, bring it down into a language that a six-year-old could understand. And generally speaking, that is the, the way that we do it. We speak to ourselves, speak to the ego, speak to the animalistic side that is resistant to holiness, and reason with it, Mm -hmm. and relate to it, and draw it in. That's the regular way. Mm -hmm. However, however, here's the asterisk, here's the exception to the rule. Sometimes the ego becomes so inflated, so enormous that it cannot be reasoned with. Sometimes you have pare Melech Mitzrayim syndrome and the ego cannot be reasoned with, so you can't talk to him. It's talking to the wall. You can't talk to it. Anything you say it's gonna flip back on you. My father, I, I I've mentioned before, my father's a psychologist, so I grew up a lot with jokes about psychology and psychologists. My father told me a joke, he said this lady goes to a psychologist, and uh, the psychologist says, why are you here? She says, well, because my friends think I'm crazy. Why do your friends think you're crazy, right? She says, because uh, I'm dead, and they don't believe me. Mm, okay. So he's thinking to himself, and uh, he says to her, ah, he gets an idea. He says, let me ask you a question. Do dead people bleed? And she says, of course not, they're dead. So all of a sudden he grabs her hand, he takes on a needle, and he pricks her finger, and he squeezes the finger, and a little drop of blood comes out. And he says, aha, what do you say to that? She says, wow, what do you know? Dead people bleed. (laughs) Okay, so the point is, sometimes when you're so self-absorbed, and you're in that echo chamber of one, and you just can't hear any other voice, you can't hear You can't get your reality check. You're not available. You're not open to it. You're not receptive. So what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do when that's the case? Now, one solution is, if you're really that in your own bubble, sooner or later, I don't wish it on anyone, but this is what happens to us. If we're really in our own bubble, sooner or later, life's going to get dysfunctional enough. It's going to get painful enough. You're going to get your wake-up call. You're going to hit rock bottom. And then you're going to get humbled. And then you're going to listen to reason. Mm -hmm. I think Abba Ibn the great uh, diplomat, he had, a, he had a saying. He said that nations like people, you know, just nations are like people, uh, they tend to behave rationally after all other opportunities have been exhausted. Right? Okay. So he was saying it a little bit cynically, but the point is, that you want to be unreasonable, you want to be headstrong, you want to be stubborn. Okay, go, 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 go. Eventually you're going to hit the wall, you're going to crash and burn, and then you're going to listen to reason. Alright. However, we don't want to hit rock bottom. We want to raise the bottom. We want to give up and surrender to Hashem before our life is falling apart. Not like Pare, who let his whole country go to hell before he was able to be humbled. Okay. So... You know the story about the uh, the guy who bought a mule? Bought a mule from a farmer, and the farmer tells him, Listen, this is a very good mule. Anything you need him to do, need him to schlep, whatever, you just tell him to do it, he obeys commands, don't get rough with this mule. He says, Okay, fine, no problem. Next day, the guy calls up, the, the guy who purchased the mule calls up the farmer. He says, You sold me a lemon, right? This the mule, he's a dud. You told me he obeys commands, he won't move. He won't move. So the, the farmer says, bring him back here. So the guy puts the mule in the truck, he goes back to the farmer, and he says, look at this, this mule, it doesn't do anything. So the, uh, he says, what do you want him to do? He says, t- t- you know, tell, him to, tell him just to move, tell him to walk. So the farmer says, okay, fine. He walks over to the mule, and he pounces him on the head, boom! And then he whispers in his ear, and then the mule starts walking. He says, What did you do? You told me no rough stuff. Why you punch him on the head? He says, No, no, no. All you have to do is whisper to him and he moves. He said, but you didn't whisper to him. Punched him on the head. He says, that's just to get his attention. Okay. So But sometimes that's the way that the ego is, that it, it, it it's in a pare mode. Well, you can't just go talk to it. You have to punch him on the head and get his attention. That's why when Moshe would go to Pare, he didn't reason with him, he didn't explain things to him. He went and he gave him the Word of God, even though Pare didn't understand the words. Because it wasn't the point. The point was to hit him with this power. And that he could understand. Because it's beyond understanding. Same thing with ourselves. Normal mode of operation is you reason with your animal soul, you explain things to it. But when we find ourselves <clears throat> in that dangerous situation where we're impervious to logic, then we have to apply what Chazal, what our sages tell us <speaking> in Gemara and Brachas <Hebrew> that a person should rage. His is a good inclination against his evil inclination. And by the way, it says la'ilam, which sometimes you translate as always. It doesn't mean always, because we just said that's not the mode that we always do. It's not even the mode that we usually do. It's unusual. It's unusual. La'ilam in Gemara can mean actually. If you learn Gemara, sometimes they will use the word la'ilam to mean actually, meaning not what you would have thought. Actually, okay, because why? What might have you thought? What, what might you have thought? We know that rage, that anger is toxic, and that we're supposed to distance ourselves from it. Call that anyone gets angry, it's like he worships idols. So we would think there's never a place for it. So come, the sages and say, Lailam, actually there's one place where rage is appropriate. Oh yeah, who do I get to rage at? Point him out. Show, show, show me who I get to yell at. <laughs> yeah, you want you want to rage? Okay, you can rage it yourself, and not even all the time, not even all the time. When you see that logic isn't working, explanations aren't working, reason isn't working, you're dealing with a paray. So then it's time to just hit him with the full force, the the, the, the power of God, and uh, you know. But that's that again. That's just to get his attention. Now, after you have his attention. Then we we can have a conversation.